Welcome to the Curiosity Key Podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Wyman. I'm a B2B business development strategist and specialize in helping companies leverage the power of LinkedIn to grow their business. Now, there are many incredible companies, products, and services out there that offer genuine solutions that are really making a difference in their industries. But unfortunately, the reality is that bigger brands or inferior solutions are winning all of the business because they're better known and have a bigger market presence. I help companies elevate their status in the market, win more business without needing huge marketing budgets, sales teams, or large backings from elsewhere. Because this is something that I feel very, very passionate about. And also this is something I want to achieve with this podcast to really elevate the status of the lesser known companies out there. Now, my guest this week is the incredible Rebecca Godfrey from Ethio Limited. Rebecca shares my passion for helping companies develop better connections and clarity and she works with businesses to create engaged, inspired, and future-proofed teams. Now, having stalked Rebecca for a while on LinkedIn, we've since collaborated on a couple of projects, and I can honestly say that she will go far in this world and positively impact many businesses along the way. In this episode, we talk about the importance of team engagement and communication in business, and allowing everybody in the team to be creative and have their voice heard. Now, we're not really talking about tech this week, but what we are talking about will help any technical company survive and thrive and stand ahead of the crowd. So let's get stuck into this week's interview. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Curiosity Podcast, where this week I'm joined by Rebecca Godfrey from Ethio Limited. I'm really excited to talk to you about how organizations can better collaborate, communicate, build structured teams and processes and systems before they become a problem. And so I just want to welcome Rebecca to this interview, say hello, Hello. and do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and what's brought you to um, where you are today, which is running your own business and helping organisations with this challenge? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Delighted to be here. Um, So yeah, so I am actually an academic research scientist by background. Um, I studied for a PhD um, in immunology at the University of Cambridge. And I've spent uh, the last 12 or 13 years in the biotech and pharma world um, in a variety of roles, ranging from company director of a small consultancy, being third in the door, building that up, um, as well as global head and global director roles in two of the top 10 pharma companies. And what I've always been so passionate about and so interested about is how we all operate so differently. Um, I've worked with individuals and teams in more than 90 countries. And I love how we all make decisions, we manage, we communicate in so many different styles. Um, but what frustrates me is that in spite of us all knowing this, I'm sure I'm not shocking you by telling you this, in spite of us all knowing this, we still, when we want to make important decisions, throw everybody in a room and expect them to behave the same way. So I was really interested in kind of studying the psychology of the workplace. And I've been doing that for a few years, doing a lot of reading, taking courses and whatnot, but also looking at my own successes and the few failures, we all have them, um, and kind of looking at what works and what doesn't work. And it got to the end of 2017, and I just thought, why not now? Why not just make the jump and go out there? So I set up my company at the very end of 2017, spent a lot of 2018 building, uh, building my methodology, testing it against different case studies, um, and then really kicked things off kind of August, September time last year. And I've absolutely been loving it working with loads of different types of companies, um, scientific companies, obviously that's where I come from, but also engineering companies, essentially 
highly regulated companies that have many of the challenges that are familiar to me where you've got the technicians and then you've got the business folks coming together and we don't always necessarily uh, sing from the same hymn sheet. So they're the challenges I love. And I think that was uh, what drew me to you in the first place, because um, for everybody listening, I was Rebecca's stalker for a while. <laughs> um, I, uh, I I think somebody uh, in my network had shared something that Rebecca was doing, especially around the Lego series play methodology. Um, so I then became one of Rebecca's biggest fans and started stalking her on LinkedIn, <laughs> finding out everything that she was doing. Um, also because of my own experiences working in tech and engineering companies, especially around the fact that, you know, a lot of engineering companies have the the developers and the people involved in creating those products and solutions to actually go out and sell or be involved in those business decisions, talking to people that are more commercially minded and not as technically minded. Um, And I know that I've experienced certain challenges myself in trying to figure out how to communicate for success and actually how to make it work. So my curiosity um, definitely led me to follow Rebecca and what she was up to. And that's why I wanted to bring her in on this podcast to share some, you know, experience and wisdom. Um, so you you touched upon that you've worked in over 90 different countries. And when you're dealing with a, co- a company that has, um, you know, cross-border teams, international teams, how do you, uh, or rather in, in your experience, how have you found um, cultural and language differences um, to affect communication within the business and also help move things forward? Um, well, I think there's a number of differences when you're working across across, uh, across territories. So in one particular role, I was global head, we had country operations in 92 country operations. So the 92 country operations heads didn't report into me in terms of a formal structure. I was responsible for what they did in terms of my department. All of their data had to feed into the headquarters. So each of the heads of their department that I worked with actually reported in through the structure in the company. So not only do you deal with different legislative backgrounds, different infrastructure, you're dealing with developing countries, you're dealing with developed countries, but also you're dealing with the culture within a company as well, because each of these company operations was the same pharma company, but they were actually little businesses in themselves. They had different drivers. A lot of the people that were uh, that I worked with, these uh, country heads, were of drug safety, but actually they were reporting into a medical director who was reporting into a general manager who was commercial. So for me, the first thing that was so, so important was to get to know these 92 heads that I was responsible for leading Um, and to see what they needed, to understand their challenges. So, for example, one of the things that we had to do was when somebody would report a side effect report, this happens in in all drug safety, you follow up with additional questions. Now, in the UK, you might pick up the phone and call the hospital, but in some countries, people have to physically go to the hospital. And without understanding these challenges, people at the headquarters would be like, why is somebody taking so long to do this? So I always felt it was really, the first thing was really important to understand who it was that you were leading, what made them tick, but also understand the context in what they're, in how they're working. You know, nowadays, we are under so much regulation, but all of the regulations are different, even within the EU, in what I do in pharma, what I've always done, you know, there's still a lot of differences. So we really need to understand that rather than be a one size fits all, guys, 92 country heads, you need to give me this data, you need to pull it. 
it's about having that conversation. I um, encouraged my team, I led a team of seven leaders who would actually go out and support these 92 folks. Um, I said, I want you to have a one-to-one meeting with them every month. I want you to get to know them. We had structured um, uh, structured kind of agendas where we would cover off certain topics. But just get to know the people for whom you're responsible for so that if they've got a problem, they're, hey, Rebecca, can I, can I ask you a question? Rather than this kind of scary global head that so nobody knows. And I think that was the first big change that I made that made a huge difference, was just actually spending the time to get to understand individual challenges within that huge operation globally. I think that's so important. And a lot of people come to me and um, ask me why it is that I do what I do um, and find out how they can better work and better collaborate with other people, both internally and externally as well. And I think what I find is that everybody, not necessarily in regulated industries, but um, businesses are in so much of a rush these days that when they communicate with other people, it's all about getting to the end point and getting what they need from that relationship before spending that time actually understanding what are the behaviours, what are the motivations of that individual and how can you work together to achieve a common goal. Um, And especially in sales and marketing as well, it's actually taking that time to understand who is your customer, what motivates them, what behaviours do they um, convey out in public within their organisations and actually just invest that time to really understand what's going on so they can then better serve and, and better solve the, the problems that they're there to solve, yeah. really. And I think that's, that's the, the, the word customer is so important. So one of the first things I say when I go out and I do my workshops and my development programs is, who is your customer? Now, my customer in a pharma company is, of course, the patient. That's the end customer. Mm-hmm. And as a leader, my first customer is actually the people do, that I provide leadership to. So those 92 country heads were my customers. Mm-hmm. I may have been pulling information from them. I need to know your compliance information. I need to know you're following these processes. I need to know that you're resourced to set appropriately. I need to know you're trained. But actually, what do you need from me? And I know this sounds a little bit fluffy, but if you look, and I, I said this uh, last week in a session I was running, if you look at the people you lead as your customer and you serve them as your customer first, your end customer gets served so much better. because. You know, there's this thing, you know, called the the darkness principle. As a leader, you can't be everywhere. You need to rely on other people to be able to see the things that you can't see. I was sitting in Hertfordshire in the UK. I could not see what was going on in Auckland in New Zealand. I could not see what was going on in, you know, all across South America. I needed to rely on these folks. So it was my job to first and foremost to serve them and say, okay, what is it you need? And to build that collaboration. I, it frustrates me when I see hierarchy, when I don't, when I see a lack of understanding of that need of give and take, because then people have started to say, why isn't it working? It's like, well, is it not working for them? Is it maybe something that, that you as a leader could be kind of flexing and changing? So mm-hmm. I think the word customer, it really needs to be defined across organizations. If you're client facing, yes, and you're uh, a small consultancy, consultancy like I uh, ran a few years ago, yeah, you see your customers straight away. But I still had internal customers as well. And I think that change in mindset can be quite dramatic in the, the response you get, the collaboration you get, and ultimately the response you get. Yeah, absolutely. and I think, was it uh, Richard Branson that was saying that, you know, if you focus on the culture of your company and you focus on developing your staff and treating your staff well, then your staff will then take care of your customers. Mm, and exactly. You know, I, I've 
I've been very fortunate, you know, in the past that I've worked for companies that have invested heavily in uh, the development of their staff and, you know, taken that time to understand. But I've also worked with a lot of companies that don't do that and a lot of uh, customers of companies that don't do that. And it does shine through. It's really, really important. Um, So why do you think companies and organisations wait until they have a problem to solve or they're trying to fix something that's broken before addressing these things within an organisation? I think we're so stretched nowadays for resources. I think that, I think there's two parts to it. I think one is that you said it earlier, you know, we're in this drive to get to the result. We need to get to the result. But also it can be down to the personality preference of the leaders. So when I look at any organisation, before I get to the process, I look at the culture, I look at the scope, the structure and the staff development. So the culture, who are we and why are we here? You know, how do we want to work together? What is our purpose? What is our reason for being? Scope, what is it that we do? So now in a in a small consultancy, that would be who is our customer? In a big multinational, that might be, where's the start and stop of our boundaries? But so then you know who we are, this is what we're all about, and this is what we do. Then you look at structure, who does what? And, and when I talk about structure, I talk about not necessarily changing your chart. If you're in a big company as a leader, it's very rare that you can change that. But it's about mindset. Again, delegation, including people. Then you look at staff development, developing their confidence and their skill. And then the staff look after the processes. You as a leader can have oversight, but some of the best processes that my groups have ever developed have not been developed by me. My job is getting the culture, the scope, the structure, and the staff development right. They then do the process because they feel empowered. They're subject matter experts. Now, when you look at personality preference, you have there are certain types of people that will look at the culture and look at the staff development as their priorities. We'll have other people that will look at structure and will look at scope as their priorities. But when I went back and looked at these successes and looked at these failures, unless you have all four of these, unless you have a clear purpose, a clear scope, a good structure, and staff developed in confidence and skill, you won't get the process. So people often come to me and say, I've got this problem with the process. And I'm like, hey, let's go back. Because the problem with the process is the symptom. It's not the problem. Mm-hmm. So often what we do is that it's, it's very difficult for all of us. And I say this as myself included, that you look through your own eyes. So you go in and sometimes say, but I'm doing loads of culture work. I'm doing, you know, I'm really building the confidence of my team. I still don't know why this is working. So it's not that people aren't looking. They think they've done it. But actually, if you if you interview their teams, they'll go, yeah, I love my boss, but I, every time I come to work, I don't know where my role starts and stops. It's just not clear. I'm stepping on the other department's toes. So I think there is a huge amount of effort going in there. But I think also words like culture are overused. Mm. You know, I, even when people ask me what I do and I say I'm a team and leadership transformation consultant, firstly, I think, oh, that sounds like the silliest job title in the world. But also, <laughs> we're 10 a penny. And the thing I always say is my stuff is very practical. It's, yes, there's a lot about leadership mindset in there, but it's right. People need to know why they're doing what they're doing, who's doing what, what are they doing, and then they can just crack on and get it going. So I think that there, people now are investing a lot more time and money because I think now it's clear that if, you, if people can just get up in the morning, they're excited to go to work, they know exactly what they're doing, the output and the value is worth the investment. But I think we are coming around to that. And what's interesting is smaller businesses as well are. I think a few years ago, it was very much the big giants that were investing a lot. They had learning and development. Whereas if you were a small business, you kind of just, you know, bootstrapped and you kept going. 
a lot of my clients are smaller businesses now where they're actually coming in and saying, right, can you develop our staff? Because their staff are their, their biggest and most expensive assets. Yeah, and I think a lot of people underestimate just how much staff, um, yeah, the, the, the staff costs are to a business. Uh, I have a lot of people that come to me going, oh, you know, I, I'd really like to uh, book you for a training session, but we can't afford um, to, to train our staff at this point. And, you know, I, I hear a lot of other consultants and a lot of other trainers that have this same challenge where organizations just think of everything as a cost to them rather than as an investment. And with staff, especially, unless you're investing in your staff's development, then, you know, they're at some point going to leave because they don't have the tools that they need they're not satisfied they're not happy and you know the cost of re-recruiting retraining is rarely considered or it's not considered in in full um I think because a lot of people just think you know what it's really easy to recruit and replace people Um, I know from personal experience that's not the case at all and it actually ends up costing you so much money and time and also frustration so yeah everything that you're saying is just um, yeah, absolutely required and gold. Um, and I think with what you were doing, cause you came and delivered a, a Lego serious play workshop for one of my networking events over in Nottingham, which was absolutely incredible. You know, people are still talking about it today, even a few months later. And, you know, the, the value to an organization, not just in the output of what it is that they're learning, like, you know, how to better communicate, but the value in motivating and energizing staff to do something mm. is for me, absolutely key. So like, can you tell me a little bit more about like, your experience of that and the value to an organization that you've seen? Yeah, absolutely. So with the, like the Lego series play tool, if somebody's watching or listening to this and they've never heard of it, it sounds like I'm a crazy lady turning up with Lego. In the next room, I've got like, like 8,000 Lego bricks. So if I showed you that room, I'd definitely be crazy Lego. So um, the Lego Series Play is a tool that I brought online uh, about September last year. Um, there's a fair few facilitators around. I brought it in very much in the kind of leadership, team development, strategy development space. And what I love about the, the tool is that when an organization comes to me and they've got an important business question, that could be around developing their vision their values, it could be their strategy around a particularly difficult topic. One example is Brexit. I think I, I shared that, that, that example with you. Um, you know, trying to tackle something as game-changing uh, for, the, for the worst in some cases as Brexit. <laughs> um, but, but what I do when I'm speaking to somebody is, yes, we've got the main objective, but I listen to everything else they're saying. They may be saying, well, actually, it's a new team, or you know, we want to try and get insights from the team. We don't hear from everyone or it might be cross-functional working, there may be some conflict. And every moment throughout the workshops, we're building in different behaviours. So if you notice, when we do the workshops, um, we uh, teach people how to build their ideas, build 3D representation of their ideas. And I think you'll agree that, you know, in the first when we first come in, you think, I'm never going to be able to do this, and 40 minutes later, everyone's doing it. Um, but it's a great way of levelling. It really removes the hierarchy. It removes those team dynamics of things like groupthink where everyone follows the leader. Because we encourage everybody to build their answer to the question. And they've already built it by the time they hear anybody else's answer. So it means you get that really holistic view. But by designing the workshops with the timers and the music, we're building in uh, behaviours such as momentum, decisiveness, honesty, bravery. 
So literally every moment that somebody's in that workshop, there is this value to them and to their organization. So they go away with the organization having solved an important business question, but from everyone else feeling differently because they all heard, they were all heard and they listened to everybody else. That they, they, uh, one person said, we've done six months strategy work in three and a half hours because people have no time to go, oh, is that a silly idea? Or oh, what are people going to think? Because I don't give them time, as you know. I just say, right, you've got three minutes, you're just going to do it. So it's incredible the feedback that we get and everything from people saying they goosebumps from, you know, they came out with an idea that they didn't expect uh, because of the play element, opening that part of your mind to, as I said, this feedback, we've done six months strategy development in three and a half hours. It's an incredibly powerful tool. And um, it's something I use in my leadership development programs, but also as standalone workshops. And I absolutely love it because the folks that do walk into the room with their arms crossed thinking, oh my Lord, what's this? I'm not, and one person actually said, I don't have to touch the Lego, do I? And um, I oh. love seeing the transformation of people going from the cynic to being the fully, you know, in it. Can I steal your Lego? I don't want to break up my model. I love this. Um, because it just brings people, as I say, to a level playing field that people are using their hands. So it's bypassing the conscious into the nice subconscious where we just get stuff done um, but most importantly it's been able to, I've been able to use it with organizations to resolve some really serious business questions that have been real sticklers for people in terms of not hearing everybody's views in terms of maybe not you know drying up of ideas um, and it's just been so rewarding to see that especially with the kind of companies that I work with because these are companies that have a massive part to play in the lives of their end customers yeah, for sure. And I think when you came and delivered it to the networking group, I mean, we were um, a, a group of sort of small, smaller business owners, but there were a few people that came from larger organizations. And I think from my point of view, um, because coming from a you know business development strategy, marketing and sales strategy point of view, is to see people open their mind and think instead of going straight in as you do with a networking meeting with what it is that you do, or trying to sort of constantly promote um, what you're doing because every time you try um, to talk about an idea you're always trying to sell something you know you're trying to sell yourself or you're trying to sell an idea or you're trying to sell something and it can come across as a bit pushy unless that person needs what it is that you're offering right there and then and one of the builds that you had everybody working on was you know sort of I want you to build a representation of the value that you deliver to your clients and what was great was to see everybody kind of come up with lots of different things and like really unusual ways and then present it to the rest of the table and everybody listened you know they were engaged they were interested and they were then thinking not just you know would they benefit from something else like that but who did they know who would benefit from something like that and really creating those connections um which was just absolutely incredible to see with um yeah something as simple as lego because i know that like you know when you ask the question it's like oh who's played with lego in the last month and then you asked everybody you know who's played with lego in the last month that doesn't have children i was like that like yeah yes me yes okay i'm an adult that loves lego it's totally fine <laughs> and what's great is that we often have people pretty much in every session where there's at least one or two people who've never played with lego before and that's why when people say why is it lego well, it could be play-doh it could be drawing but if you're like me i've got the scientific brain i cannot draw no offense to any scientists out there but i can i am the quintessential i'm analytical i love i, I can build I can build things like Lego, but I can't draw. Um, but really, it's just about representing it, it, representing your ideas. It takes the emotion. Instead of you saying, 
um, I think this, you're saying this model represents, and you get into that, so you don't feel like you have to defend your ideas. But what's lovely as well is imagine those 10 people on your table, or eight people I think we had on your table. So you each build the value that your role brings to its end customer. Imagine you're one company. What we would then do is take those eight answers and build one big model. And I've worked with companies recently where we had three tables of 10. They each built a table model. And then we put the three table models together. So we had a model that represented the values that this company brought to its end client, which had um, pieces from every single person in the division. And what that meant was everybody was committed to the end result. Because how many times do you go to a meeting and you hear people, like, you make a decision, and then you hear people a few weeks later going, well, I didn't even agree with it anyway. I just didn't want to say anything. And it's like, well, no, now you can see it. And even if there's ideas in that overall model that maybe you didn't agree with or weren't yours, because you're, you are represented, you're more likely to be open and say, do you know what? I've been heard, I've been listened to, so I'm going to listen to and hear other people. And that's what's really lovely when you see that come together. But also, because it's a bit weird and wonderful, you go away feeling like you've bonded. Firstly, you've learned more about people, you've heard their ideas, but also you've done something a bit weird together. You've played with a bunch of Lego together. So you leave a networking event or a company event, you go and try and describe it to other people who everyone thinks you're absolutely crazy. So you're in this like little club of, oh, well, Charlie and I know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. That's what's lovely as well. I used to have an electric car. And every time you see another electric car drive, you kind of feel like you're like, oh, I understand what you you understand, you know, uh, range anxiety. We're in the same club. And I think that's what it's like when you've done Lego. You can talk in Lego terms a little differently. So uh, maybe, maybe I'm just destined to be in these like weird clubs everywhere. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I always say that in, whenever I do my training, you know, because it's like, especially I use LinkedIn as that that tool in the same way that you're u- using Lego as that tool um, from a sales and a business, a sales marketing and business development point of view. And it's that, you know, you create connections by, share, you know, talking about shared interests. So even if you're trying to sell a product, service, an idea, if you understand who the person is that you're talking to, understand what interests them what motivates them you know then you're more likely to be heard and you know sort of yeah really listen to because you go to you know I've been going to sales meetings like for years you go to events networking meetings all of these things people will listen to you but not really hearing what it is that you're saying um whereas you know if you sort of talk about exactly what you were just saying there is that it really creates those connections and then you know you go away both having really listened and heard to what the other person is saying and then you also remember that and take it away and do something with it afterwards and the 3d representation helps with the visual memory as well because some people are very auditory some are very visual some are very kinesthetic they actually have to do so, for example, I'm writing a book at the moment. If I sit at my, my I was going to say typewriter, <laughs> if I sit at my keyboard and with a blank page, I'll just sit there for ages. Whereas I, if I sit with a dictaphone, as you can probably imagine, I can talk for days. Um, my son, he has to be doing something. He's seven years old. He has to be doing something. So when he's learning maths, he has to be practicing it because he, he needs to be kind of getting in and getting stuck in. And that's what's lovely is that, you, you kind of couple with those, the auditory, the visual, and the kinesthetic. And I think that's why people go away. That if I showed you a model from that uh, networking event, you would probably still remember what it represents. Anybody else looking at it, it's a pile of Lego. It doesn't mean anything except for those people who are in the room. So, so that's great as well. 
And I absolutely wish that I'd met you and come across Lego Serious Play when I was working in leadership roles across companies because, you know, um, my first experiences with the difference in learning styles and the difference in communication styles kind of came from learning how to be a rowing coach of all places. I didn't learn that in industry. Um, And it made me a much, much better leader and a much, much better manager Um, because you're, especially when you're working in smaller businesses, so not large organizations, but small businesses every single person in that company has a part to play in the 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 sale and the business growth so it doesn't matter if you're not working in sales you're not working in marketing everybody has an input and to be able to use the experiences um, and make people feel heard and get their input because a lot of companies you know you'll always have you know your extroverted characters that will always chip in their ideas and then you'll always have the introverted people that are just kind of like you know they they don't want to put forward their ideas but more often than not, those people have actually got the best ideas anyway. Mm. And that's the thing, like introversion and extroversion, people often think it's social confidence. It's actually where you get your energy from. So somebody like myself with an extroversion preference, I talk through my ideas. So much so that in past jobs, I've walked up to desks halfway through my ideas and not realised the person didn't hear the first half of the sentence in my head. <laughs> um, very frustrating, I'm sure, for my colleagues. And um, People with an introversion preference, like it's not that they're scared or shy to share their ideas but they're in they want to reflect on them they want to think them through and by getting those two preferences together is absolute magic because mm. you get the spontaneity of those with an extroversion preference and the kind of patient reflection from the introversion so it allows you to critically look at a problem and also when you do look at organizations where let's say you've got a table of 12 in a boardroom style and you've got two people from sales and marketing, you've got six technicians, you've got somebody from quality, somebody from IT. If, let's say, the person from quality is somebody with an introversion preference and wants time to reflect, but the leader of the group is somebody with an extroversion preference, like, bam, 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 let's get it done, let's get it done, and you don't hear from that person, you actually don't hear from that speciality. Mm-hmm. So in a, big, in a big multinational, you don't hear from that division. In a small business, you don't hear that quality expert. So we really need to, and it doesn't always need to be Lego serious play, but I think as, as in, you know, in our industries, we really need to think of, are we hearing from everyone? And when things don't work, so, you know, I, I worked with one company that has restructured after restructure after restructure. And I said to them, have you stopped and wondered why these restructures aren't working? Because if people aren't committed to it before it starts, it becomes, well, I'm only going to do it because it's Charlie's chain, Charlie's restructure or Charlie's process. Whereas if it becomes mine because I've been involved in it, we just need to, I think, sometimes step back and go, are we really hearing from everyone? Mm. Are we arranging our working styles so that we do take into account these different personality preferences? Are we plowing ahead with momentum, but doing it in such a way that we're not leaving people behind? And I think that's something that if, if companies can just kind of take pause and do that, we get so much better out for our customers, whether that be the people we lead or our end customers. And I think it's worth the time in, in you know, the investment in time and or financial because the outputs then you're not having to do all this rework. I think sometimes mm. people forget, as you say, rehiring staff, doing, you know, correcting things because people haven't had the full picture. Sometimes we don't take that into account when we're thinking about how do we invest in our teams when we're developing to make sure they're high performing teams and that they maintain 
to be high performing. That we don't go, right, that team's great, let's leave them and don't get to invest them. You know what I mean? Yeah, and restructuring is such, it seems to happen all the time. You know, I always hear organisations going, oh, we're going through a restructure or, you know, we're going to redo our brand or we're going to redo this and and redo that and then kind of like rush into that process. And, you know, you're talking about different learning styles. I learn by doing something. You know, you can lecture me all you like, you can talk to me all you like, but unless I've actually done it, then I really struggle to pick it up. Um, partly why I really struggled at school because you know my school was all about teaching and Mm. not doing and you know I've learned from you know going through numerous restructures and then just realizing you know what this doesn't work if you're just saying yeah you know this is Charlie's idea of restructuring and this is why we're doing it but you just kind of go ahead and do it you don't get that team buy-in or that motivation then you actually end up going nowhere and it's just been a huge waste of time um, and waste of uh everybody's energy and effort but if you get that buy-in as you know we we're talking about earlier about motivation um and and energizing people as to the purpose of what it is that you're trying to do then yeah. you know you go much further um I wrote a boat uh, wrote a boat uh, wrote an article because it was following the boat race in London you know the Oxford and Cambridge yeah. University boat race because I've I obviously didn't go to Oxford or, uh, or Cambridge but I've rode that um that route and I've competed and I've also coached a crew that rode that route so I wrote an article about the the similarities uh, between leadership and rowing (laughs) because in a boat especially if you're dealing with eight people in a boat you know you might think right okay um as a coach you've got the strong people that need to be in the middle um and then you've got the people that are great at setting the pace so you put those at the front but unless you like really motivate the team as to why you've made those changes and you get everybody enthusiastic about their new position in that boat the boat's not going to go anywhere you know it it will row it will row the course but you're never going to win any races because you haven't got that team buy-in and you know I think having had the experience myself of doing that in a business environment and also um coaching because there's nothing like demotivate, like more demotivating than coaching a rowing crew that like really don't like the decisions that you've made. Do it anyway and don't win. It's awful. Yeah, <laughs> you only have to do it once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's the thing we all make mistakes. I'm not going to lie. I've not been the perfect line manager. I've not been the perfect leader. But it's about kind of really critically analysing as to why something didn't work, rather than going, oh well, it's their fault. They're not taking on my changes. They don't understand me. I'm a coach. I'm a leader. You know these. You know. Uh, wallies they should be doing something better no it's actually and that's where I think you know it's one of the most humbling roles to be a coach or a leader and actually go okay what is it that I did that contributed to this not working um or you know and I I I am the first person to to beat myself up when I do that but it's about then okay that didn't work how do I learn from this is why I read so many uh leadership books over the years but it's really interesting because it just falls into the same patterns. Like if you look at my logo, the three C's that I have are connection, clarity, and commitment. And in everything I do, whether it's leadership programs, the um, the the workshops I do, it's if you have connection to what you do, to your role, and to your people. If you're clear on your direction, if you're clear on your scope and the boundaries of your responsibilities, you will have commitment to your end goals, to your people, and to your clients. And it's such a simple thought and when you go back and you think why didn't this work oh because I wasn't clear because I didn't describe you know why I was making those decisions you know even things like I, I've got an activity idea which is called a decision making matrix 
where it's for leaders to sit with their teams and say, right, how are we going to make decisions? Sometimes it will be leader takes decisions. Sometimes it will be majority rule. Sometimes it will be consensus. But if you all think it's majority rule and I think it's leader taking decisions, I suddenly look like a very unkind leader. But it might just be a lack of clarity. And I think it must be the same with your coaching. But if you're really clear and you're connected to your people, so like these are the changes I'm going to make and you get their connection, then everybody's commitment just falls out. It just becomes it just becomes a, 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 a no-brainer. Um, but it's surprising how often we as individuals get that bit wrong. Yeah, and I think leaders as well, uh, you know, need to take more ownership from the team you know especially from a from a coaching point of like your coaching and leadership is that you know if something goes wrong within the organization you do need to take ownership as a leader but that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to pass the blame to somebody else it's like okay there's no like blaming people has never solved any problem in the history of the world but you just acknowledge right okay this has happened why has it happened and what is it that we can do about it and work it through together rather than go straight in with that blame and I know you know I was a dreadful manager I'll hold my hand up and say that before I started coaching because I didn't understand that you know what if I'm managing a team and the team aren't performing it's my failure as a manager not the team's failure to execute you know and uh, again I think that's what I loved about you know especially with you talking about you know connection and clarity is you know you've got to be clear and you've got to understand how to communicate with um, your customers, your team, your employers, uh, your stakeholders, you know, anybody that's involved in what it is that you're doing. Um, Because unless you can clearly communicate what it is that you're doing, you're never going to make those connections with other people. And and I think as a leader, if you're really connected to your role, you know, somebody said to me, a a good friend of mine said to me uh, a few years back, um, I'm considering going for this, this team leadership role, but I don't really like people, but I really want to get the car allowance. And I was like, for the love of God, do not go for that job. (laughs) Alarm bells are ringing. And I say to people, line management is not a promotion. It's not a car allowance. It's not a pay rise. It's not, you know, some hierarchical, you know, honor. It is an honor and a duty of care to serve your people. And I used to say to my team, if I ever hear you say, I need to check with Rebecca, I'm going to kill you because I'm not your mother. Mm -hmm. You know, the only difference between my job and yours is that I have particular responsibilities and have a duty of care to my team it doesn't make me a better person it doesn't make me a a better technician it doesn't mean I know all the answers but it means that my fundamental priority is to my team and I say to people you can delegate everything except your line management responsibilities because if somebody has uh, some personal issue that they need to deal with they need to take some time off this is why you see managers discretion everyone they need you as a manager but you see so often that people say, I don't have time to, to do one-to-ones with my team, or I don't have time to speak to my team, I don't have time to train, I don't have time to spend a lot of time recruiting because I'm busy. Well, actually, change that around. Again, serve your customers. You know I sound like I need to get off the soapbox. Um, you know, <laughs> serve your customers, serve your customers as in the people you need first, and the rest falls out. But also know when actually management might not be for you. That actually I really want to be a senior technician. I want to know my stuff. I want to be a subject matter expert, but I actually don't want to manage people. I don't want to lead people because it is a difficult role. It's one where, as you say, you celebrate their successes, but any failures for the team, you have to look first at how you're leading the team. It doesn't necessarily mean that people in your team won't make mistakes, but it's about have you put in place the the checks and balances to support them? Are there checks and balances in the process? That's where you come in. Are there 
Uh, is there the right coaches so that when somebody doesn't know what they're doing, that they feel comfortable to be able to say, Rebecca, I'm really stuck? Or are you actually quite a scary boss that they don't want to ask you when you've got a problem? So then they naturally go and make these errors. So it's it's something that I'm incredibly passionate about. And I still see so many people who say they hate being a manager, but are a manager and go for management job after management job after management job. And, and a lot of the kind of the, the technical industries now are developing roles so that people can have career progression outside the man management um, in outside management roles, which I really celebrate. Because yeah. something if you're a great technician but you're not, you don't want to be a manager, we don't want to lose you. We really don't want to lose you. We want to to leverage the insights and the experience that you have without putting you putting you in a role that you're not going to enjoy and you're not going to excel at. Yeah, and I think it's the same with, um, you know, you talk about serving your clients. That's a, the main driving force why a lot of us start businesses, um, you know, is that we go into business because we want to solve a problem for our clients. We want to serve our clients. Um, well, I like to think that that's the majority, <laughs> the majority of businesses go um, into it for that reason. But, um, and, you know, you're talking about like management, a lot of the, uh, especially the, the innovative uh, technical companies that I come across, you know, it's normally the person that had the idea that developed the solution yeah. um, that started the business because they wanted to get that into market. So they've kind of ended up as that accidental manager, if you like. Um, you know, I know that one of my old bosses, he always used to say is like, you know, I didn't go into business to manage people. I went into business to continue innovating and continue doing this stuff. But, you know, didn't necessarily have at the time the team around him to um, take everything over. But he was investing in developing that team so he could do what he wanted to do and what he loved doing. And I think that's really important, you know, because a lot of um, our listeners for for this podcast are either small business owners, innovators, change makers, people that want to solve a problem and then end up in those roles. Uh, And I think that there needs to be more of a a kindness around um you know go ask for help don't expect to be able to do all of this yourself because management is hard you know especially if it's not your natural ability I don't think is is there such do you think there is such thing as a natural manager I I think that there may be people who start off as a natural manager I think that everybody has it in them as I say you know when you look across these five pillars of culture scope structure staff development process excellence we all have ones we're good at and we all have ones that we need to develop. So just because you're great on culture doesn't make you a better manager because you might be very weak on process and scope. But then there might be other people who may not think they're natural managers, but they're phenomenal at structure and scope and maybe need a little bit more work on culture. Something that I'm... For leaders of... Um, for leaders of small businesses to... Um, to come together and be able to share ideas and share challenges. Because when you're in a big company, you can speak to your peers about a challenge you have with your team without escalating it and without being indiscreet. When you're running a small business and the only people that you see on a day-to-day basis are the people you lead, it's very difficult to say, guys, I'm finding this hard. So I'm, I'm trying to build a community where leaders of small businesses can come together and not give away confidential information about their staff, of course, but be able to say, you know, I'm finding it really difficult, exactly as you say, you know, I'm a, I'm a technician, I'm, you know, I wouldn't cast myself as a people person, but how are you finding this and sharing those ideas? Because mm-hmm. I think that's where it becomes less lonely because people say it's lonely at the top. Again, I'm not hierarchical, so I don't see it as the top, but it is lonely being a leader sometimes because you have to take, the, the, the bad stuff and sometimes you have to take that on your own 
yeah and I could talk talk to you about this topic for um ages but I'm just aware of time um so need to to kind of close this up a little bit but I just want to ask you as well you know if you could give a uh, you know sort of business owner entrepreneur change maker one piece of advice as to how they can uh, how they can create more connection clarity and commitment in their business what would that be I would say get to know your people get to understand them um it's incredible how if you are leading a business you may be the nicest person in the world but if you don't go to them it's much harder for them to come to you so I know some business leaders that are some of the kindest people I know, but their staff are intimidated by them because they never talk to their staff. So they become the managing director behind this, you know, closed door. Speak to your staff. You're all in it together. Explain that you are, you know, you, you have their, you know, their best interests at heart, but you also need them to come along because without them, you're not going to be able to do it. And by doing that, you'll break down the hierarchy. You'll get better connection. If you get better commitment and you bridge that gap, you'll be able to clarify things together and then all move towards uh, uh, your results so much quicker and so much smoother. It's great advice. I think not just for small businesses, I think everybody will benefit from listening to that advice. Um, so thank you so much for coming onto this podcast. Thanks it's for having me. Great speaking to you yet again. Um, so if people, well, people, if our listeners would like to contact you or find out more about you and what it is that you're doing, what's the best way to do that? Um, LinkedIn, Rebecca Godfrey, this sounds uh, very long. Rebecca Godfrey PhD is my handle or Rebecca Godfrey ECO is my handle on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. But also my website is www.etho.limited, and that's E-T-H-E-O and limited, written out, long form. And I will include all of these links in the show notes on my website, which is charliewyman.com forward slash podcast. So you can um, read some top three takeaways uh, from this interview and you can watch it and you can listen to it. There's lots of different ways to get involved. Um, But if you did enjoy this podcast as well, um, please subscribe to this this podcast and repeat myself again (laughs) you know if you do enjoy the episodes of this podcast please subscribe feel free to leave me a review or if you do have any feedback please let me know um but yeah my goal is to bring you uh, lots of advice innovations um inspiration and motivation to help you uh, build and grow your business so thank you again rebecca it's been great to have you on here thank you so much take care okay bye bye When you're working on exciting projects in tech or trying to change the world, it's hard to focus on marketing and it might not seem like a big priority for you right now. Talking about what you're working on and the driving force behind why you're doing it will help you raise your profile in your industry and keep your audience up to date and interested. My goal for this podcast is to share the amazing things that businesses and individuals are working on that will shape the world of tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform and share it with the others that you think would benefit. If you liked it loads, then feel free to leave me a review. All the show notes and any links mentioned in today's episode will be available on my website. That's charliewyman.com forward slash podcast. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Ciao for now. Bye.